Welcome to the Minimalist CEO Podcast with Nate Lindquist. Nate created the Minimalist CEO Method to help business owners redefine and grow their businesses by finding new demand in places they never thought to look where there's no competition. By following his opposite thinking strategy, Nate's coaching clients have grown their business up to 40% in just two months and created tens of millions of dollars in revenue. Nate himself has launched more than 140 businesses. On the show, Nate interviews successful business owners and experts who share the secrets you can use to have a better business and a better life. Hey everyone, this is Nate Lindquist. Welcome back to the Minimal CEO podcast. And I don't even know what episode this is. How do people remember what to say? I'm excited to be here and I'm excited that you're here. I'm also, and maybe I would say, you know, it's not the first time you've heard me say chick, but I'm incredibly excited to introduce our guest. Today we have the roofer chick known for creating, I don't know if it's the first ever, but it seems very much to be the first ever probably the best ever all women roofing crew. She's built her business in a couple different locations past the 5 million and change mark. And she's kicking butt. She's got a great history. She's super smart. She's on our show. Amy Feller, welcome to the Minimal CEO podcast. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Super. Yeah, this is great. So we want to make sure everyone has a, a little bit of an understanding, maybe just a, a, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into the roofing business? And we'll move later into how did you become the roofer chick? Okay. I basically got into the roofing industry by following my big brother around. He's five years older than me. And I spent most of my life trying to figure out what he was doing and doing it. We went to, we were both attending Iowa State University at the same time back in the nineties. And he started a roofing crew. And so I went to work for him and we did that for three or four seasons and paid for a good chunk of our college. And then we got real jobs and uh, we didn't like them. And so after two years of us both having a corporate America job, he called me and asked if I wanted to move to Texas and start a general construction company. So we moved down to Texas and we did that for a couple of years and pretty much went bankrupt. We tried to use the Iowa model in Texas and it just the labor market was extremely different and our tools got stolen and it was terrible. So. I went back to corporate America and he kept carrying on. And then in 2012, we started completely over from scratch. And so with his wife, actually, and we started Feller Roofing and Remodeling. We doubled every year for four years. And then after four years, I split off from him. So 2016, I started my company now, Feller Roofing of New Braunfels. Okay. That's a quick version. Okay. And New Braunfels is in Texas. Is that right? Yes. We're just outside of San Antonio. Okay. So that's I cover the San Antonio market. Okay. So I'm going to step back a little bit and thank you for the introduction. Just a little bit of background. You hit a couple of points there. And I think for our listeners, these are business owners. Uh, these are people in the home services space or people that have a service. And you said, we pretty much went bankrupt. So I can't just let that go. <laughs> I need to know. I think the, the mistakes are way more exciting uh, because oh, I have a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I think that's the best learning. The feedback is awesome. So, you know, you had to crash into some mistakes. This is what I would love to share. In the minimal CEO approach, we talk about this concept for home services businesses, the a blueprint to 5 million and beyond, because the pain, the struggle, the constantly getting pulled out into the field, the missing time with family that happens in a home services businesses. And, and the, and the, 
I don't know why I always add a business is in a home service business. It's like, I want to add an S every time I say it. So I'm just going to, we're not going to edit that out. I'm just going to apologize. If I do it again, it's just keeps happening. <laughs> the, the problem that happens is people get pulled out into the field and they're working hard. They're picking up the shovel. They're picking up the tools. They're That's showing it. people things, training in the field. So did that have anything to do with going back? I had a lot to do with it. So could you expand on that? I want to know what it looked like. Can you illustrate the train wreck? Okay. So in Iowa, we would hire people, college students, mm -hmm. um, farm boys and girls, I guess, that had a very strong work ethic and we would pay them by the hour and it was fine. Moved down to Texas. That didn't work so well. It, the hiring of, of, you couldn't employees. find any farm boys. Yeah. And, and girls. <laughs> when people are being paid by the hour here, I mean, not everybody, but they tend to milk the clock to get more money because the longer they drag it out, the more money they make. And also a big, big difference was, and it's different now in Iowa. I mean, this was 20 years ago, but we had never heard of a subcontractor and the Texas market is completely subcontractor. And a lot of that just quite honestly has to do with how close we are to the border in Iowa. We were not. So, I mean, just completely different culture, oh. um, completely different pay scale. Now in Iowa, there's people from the border. They've moved all the way across the United States, but it wasn't that way back in 2000. Mm -hmm. So we would end up being in a project and being upside down and not being able to pay anybody anymore by the hour. And we would have to finish it personally. And there was one time I'll never forget being up till three in the morning at a customer's house, trying to figure out how to hang crown molding because our, the guy that we had hired didn't show up. There was no money left in the project. She was having her entire extended family over the next day for Thanksgiving. And anyway, it was awful. And hanging crown molding is not easy. <laughs> I don't want to do it. it it's, <laughs> you have to cut it. I, I'll, I'll never forget upside down and backwards. That's how you have to cut every single piece, just how it fits when you put it up in the corner and it's at an angle and anyway. And our tools got stolen several times. It seemed like every time we were getting on top of things, an employee would steal our tools or somebody would steal them out of the truck mm -hmm. um, right in front of our house. And we weren't used to that either in Iowa. Like, mm -hmm. You had subcontractors and employees and you're trying to figure out how to balance that or mostly employees? Mostly employees and not good employees. Okay. So not only were you not able to maybe be <laughs> as competitive because, yep. because of the- Right. We were paying yeah. more. We were paying more in taxes. Right. More. Yeah. Then you had people milking the clock. Now, I think people, you know, probably from what I've seen, it's more of like a uh, size of the town, size of the city, but I'm for sure there's regional issues too that you had to face. I'd be curious, was the finding and employing skilled tradesmen, skilled labor, the biggest problem that you had, or were there some other problems that you ran into? Mm, we ran into customers not wanting to pay. I remember one guy we did like three roofs for and he just, he flat out, he never paid us. Mm. And we weren't used to that really either. We had, I grew up in a town of 28,000 people and everybody knows everybody. And it's just different than moving to Austin, Texas. That's yeah. where we were. And another thing that I hadn't mentioned when we moved to Austin in 2000, the market was booming. That's why we moved to Austin, mm -hmm. but that's when all the dot commerce went belly up. I don't know if you remember that, but like oh, yeah. the bottom fell out of Austin. Yeah. What year was that again? 2000. Okay. Yeah. No, I remember that very, I remember yeah. everyone was so, running around with their domain saying, I have a .com. I have a .com. Yeah. yeah and yeah. They, would, and, they were getting a lot of money because of their idea, not because of substance. And that was tough. Yeah. It was just bad timing. <laughs>
Okay. It happens. And also we were a general contractor. And so we were trying to do everything and we learned to narrow our focus. Okay. So now I, I mostly just do roofing and I've thought about expanding that, but there's a lot of simplicity to just doing one thing and doing it well. Mm -hmm. So now some of the other mistakes that you ran into that caused you to go bankrupt. And then obviously we do want to move into the successful version of your, your business today. But I didn't go bankrupt. I ran away first. You almost go. Yeah. You ran away. That's good. That's perfect. <laughs> I went back um, to work. <laughs> you can't default if they can't find you. Right. Um, <laughs> so I'd be curious because I think in those early stages, what revenue were you able to get up to in sales and how long were you able to sustain? And a long time ago. I was 25 years old. Mm. Um, if you were to guess. A million maybe. Okay. Maybe. So you hit that glass ceiling of, I want to get past this point. You had the sales, maybe a million dollars worth of general business. What did you have? Maybe eight to 10 projects that you were running? Yeah. And I also think that my brother was way more into it than I was. He had a background in construction engineering and my background was in transportation and logistics. He was a lot more invested than I was. Okay. So that leads me to the next piece. And what, what I've seen, and I'd be curious about what, part of your struggle at that up to $1 million level was related to you not following your calling, what you were supposed to be doing. Oh, huge. I think huge, but well, funny enough, it became my calling. I mean, it's what I do now, but it wasn't what I, I don't know that it was what I wanted to do then. Yeah. I was well, tired of corporate America. Okay. So, you know, what was the appeal to you? How did you make the shift? from, I really don't want to be doing this here. I'm losing energy. It sounds like you lost enthusiasm, but also you were losing money. So those, Super what I found is those things yeah. can go hand yeah. in hand. Super discouraged. And I'm also, I'm kind of OCD about paying my bills on time. Mm -hmm. And my brother isn't that way. He's like, well, what's going to happen? What's the worst that can happen? And he just keeps rolling. So I think at least back then he had more of the entrepreneur mindset, willing <laughs> to risk more. And I was just watching my credit score going, oh my gosh, I can't do this. Yeah. Just so you're highly leveraged, now. super stressed out. So, okay. Then you made a switch. What was the transition from, I ain't going to do this anymore to I'm the roofer chick. I'm coming back on, I'm, I'm making my comeback, but I don't want to come back to where I was. What was it that lit that fire to make you who you become today? Okay. So 2002, I went back to corporate America and I did that till 2012. That whole time, my brother was saying, I figured it out. I figured it out. Come back. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> he no, figured out no. that he needed you. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, and he figured out the subcontractor model. He figured out a lot of stuff. And he's like, I know how to make it work now. But so I was working at Coca-Cola and I was a single mom. My daughter was 2012. So she was four and I was working 12 hours a day and commute one hour on both sides of that. So she's 13 I was, now, is that right? Yeah, she's 13 now. Yeah. She's sneaking behind us. She's ducking low every time she walks behind me. You, um, did, it. you did it. You did it. I think great that you built a multi-million dollar business, but you raised a daughter that is 13 and you're still here. <laughs> and she's awesome. That's amazing. She's amazing. That's great. We have a bunch of kids too. I love kids. That's great. She just giggled. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, I was seeing her like 30 minutes a day. I was miserable. Okay. It, I was micromanaged. How many hours were you working? 12 hours a day plus the commute on both sides. Wow. Okay. So, so then I, get there, I had to be at work by 5 a.m. And the only reason they let me leave at 5 p.m. is because I told them I had to get to daycare before they closed at six. 
otherwise I would have been, I mean, really I was expected to work till six or seven. Okay. So transportation, if you're a female, you should not go into transportation and logistics. <laughs> Bad field for that, for me and the mom. So Coca-Cola, we lost a lot of, I was supervising drivers and we lost a bunch of our drivers to the oil field mm -hmm. because they were paying way better than we were, even though we were paying pretty well. And they told all us supervisors that we had to go out and get our CDL license because we were gonna start running routes. And oh, I was the only female. So you had to go get a chain wallet first. A what? You had to get a chain wallet. So if you're gonna be running, right. yes. you had to get a chain wallet and did you uh, probably grew a beard and got a tattoo <laughs> with an anchor? Is I that... was just horrified. And what's funny about that, I was like, I am not going to throw Coke because like, we filled vending machines in my department. Yeah. I was like, I am not doing that. But now here I am roofing. So that's kind of ironic. I'm trying to picture that conversation, Amy. And I'm just wondering if that you had the conversation, you listen, you listen, you listen. Then you get in like, you want me to do what? 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 Yeah, what that's how I was. It must have been surreal. So I was going, I was going to, I'll never forget. I was supposed to do a route ride with one of my drivers and he was one of my slowest drivers. And so I'd already arranged for somebody else to pick up my daughter from daycare because I knew we were going to be out all night, but okay. his truck broke down okay. before we even left. And so we had to pull into maintenance and they were fixing his truck. So now getting off at seven is now turning into getting off at nine. And I've been there since five. And I found out I have to go get my CDL. I was just miserable. And I called my brother up crying and said, there has to be more to life than this. This is awful. Yeah. And he said, well, come work for me. And I was like, no, I don't want to come. And he said, he said, I promise I'll pay you consistently. Like you'll get a paycheck. So I was like, okay, as long as you pay me. Okay. So that's now you already said, work. you already said that he's not worried about paying things on time. So how did that work out? He only missed once and it was only by a couple of days. Okay. So, okay. So he and I and his wife, she was kind of a silent partner because she worked for Texas Mutual Insurance at the time, but we just started over from scratch and he had figured a lot of it out. So the first year we did 275,000 and then we doubled every year after that. Wow. Up until 2016. And then 2016, we got a little sideways as is prone to happen in family business. And so I ended up being the startup company. He kept what the size did the company become then? If you were to look where did it roughly where did it end up when you because you kept doubling? It was like two million, two point six, I think. So you're still in that pain mm -hmm. place of Oh, it was, yeah. Were you out in the field, out on job sites a lot? Well, I learned to do sales and I always thought I wouldn't be any good at sales because I'm not a liar. And I thought to be a good salesperson you had to be a liar. <laughs> and I got forced into doing sales because he took a honeymoon and left me with a phone for like 10 days and I fell in love with it. My first sale was half a million dollars. Wow. Yeah. So crazy because it was supposed to be a $375 roof repair, but it ended up being the whole thing. So you're a sales badass too. Yeah. So now I do, I probably do sales. Sorry, your daughter's in the room and I just said that word. Oh, she can handle it. She's okay. got roofers. Yeah. She, just being raised by roofers. You're the roofer chick. That's yeah. Gross. We're good. Okay. So you get to this point, you break off on your own. What clicked? What lit that fire where all of a sudden you're now you've got a over $5 million collective business in the roofing space. And like, you're obviously inspired by what you do. You're loving it. You don't manage the details. What I've learned, you don't put systems in place. You don't manage the details unless you love it. Unless, not just love it, because love, it's such a, I think it's so generic. Unless you feel like there's something bigger than you that you're building. Right. I do love it. And yeah. I can't imagine doing anything else. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. 
I never dreamed of being a business owner. It wasn't my goal. That was my brother's goal, not my goal. Mm -hmm. I, I was pretty perfectly happy pulling a consistent paycheck. But now I can't imagine doing anything else. I've thought okay. about it because it's been that hard. And okay. I've thought, well, maybe I should do something else. And then I think about, I don't want to do anything else. I love what I do. I love interacting with the customers. I love encouraging other women to do this. Okay. And I love my- What community. lit the fire? Like when you made the move, you went from a job and then a partnership with your brother and his wife to- I mean, you don't accidentally, you know, build a multi-million dollar business and, and run it. So what lit the fire? Come on now. No, like the thing that comes to my mind is my community and being a part of it and being an active member in it. I really enjoy all the different things that I do, the networking and the getting to know people and being part of, I think I live in the best community in America. And I know that I sell a super quality product so I was that something at that it. point you put this, I think what it leads to, it, it sounds like what you're describing is you had a little taste of how you could connect and relate to people and you liked it, but you had a vision of how you could do it more of it, do it more your way. Yes. How clear was your, I, this is what I always tell my clients, when you can eat it, when you can taste it, when you eat it like a meal, when you can see it, hear it, smell it, touch it. When the, what's going on between your ears is like, that's where I'm headed. That's what, why this matters. Then I believe the next step shows up, scares the hell out of you, makes your palms sweat. That's my girl crew right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's scary. Uncharted. Your eyes just sparkled like, Yeah. <laughs> you want to see something awesome? Hold my beer. Let me show you something. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you created that vision. And as the visions come true, if you could help me understand how you went from, obviously you've had the experience of being busy, 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 pulled out in the field. What was it that transitioned you? I'm assuming you're either on the threshold or past the threshold at this point now, where you don't have to be out in the field all the time. You don't have to go and validate every shipping order and make sure yeah. that stuff doesn't get set in the snow, all that, you know, whatever this bad weather. What did you do that allowed you what was this, the new set of tools so you could take on the new job of owning and running the business instead of the business owning and running you? Competent people, okay. getting competent people who can, I, my staff is awesome yeah. and getting the right people doing the right thing and them having the same passion. I, I think if you asked any of them, they're about as passionate as this, about this as I am, which blows my mind. It's pretty cool. It's flattering that- yeah. Yeah, so they're in Yeah. How, how hard have you had to work to, and how consistently have you reworked and communicated your vision? I mean, you, you're saying that you're using the, the right, the language you're using, the right people in the right seat, doing the right work, seeing the right path and vision. And you, do you have a, I mean, I see a, a feeling that you maybe have, you feel emotional about your team and about. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. They're like, they're they're a family for sure. And I probably manage weird because I was in corporate America so long and I hated it so much. I'm very collaborative with my team and very open and I don't kill them with meetings. We only have a, a meeting a month with everybody, mm -hmm. but in that meeting, everything's on the table. When we've struggled financially and we have struggled financially, they know and they know what we need to do or, and I take their ideas because they have a lot of good ideas. 
all the time. Everybody. And it's, it's so easy to get like this. And I, you know, it's beautiful to hear you say that. I think such a natural process is to say, I'm the boss, I'm going to do that. That's a, it's a mistake I hear over and over and over yeah. from the companies that'll never break through past that one. And then the sort of the growth section and then the five, I think those are the two huge steps. And I had something just a rabbit trail off of that. One time I paid to send two of my employees to this training and I paid quite a bit and they came back all excited about things that they had been told and things that they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I had tried a whole bunch of them before. And my reaction was that won't work. That won't work. That won't work. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasted thousands of dollars of training in about 20 minutes and I realized what I did. (laughs) And so now I listen, even if I don't think it'll work. Why do you think you did that initially? I would say because I had heard those things so many times and I get sick of them. But for them, it was the first time they had ever heard it and they were excited about it. And the first time I heard those things, I was excited too. And yeah, I was just not in the right space to hear it. So let me throw you a curveball then. If we were to go back to the first time you heard someone say you need to have systems and you need an organizational strategy and everyone needs to understand how that works. Do you have that in place now? A clear picture of who's on the team, what people are responsible for? Because you said people have seats. Yes, I do. And it's in my mind. And one thing that I could do better <laughs> about is getting that on paper. And for more you or for your team? Hmm? For you or for your whole organization? Everybody would benefit from that. Yeah. Yeah. So what's some, let's, okay, let's find a different example. I need to hire what's an intern that to you come heard? in document. What, sorry? I need to hire an intern to come in some summer and just document like, job descriptions and procedures and all of that, Mm. it would be good. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, So I would never read it, but somebody would. We can have a deeper conversation on that, but I'm going to hold that thought and go back to that. I would like to know if you could think of a time where you have, I think patterns lull people to sleep in business. So I think an example maybe of why you would say that's not going to work would be because the version that you tried didn't, or maybe you didn't fully Mm -hmm. try it. Or yes. maybe you didn't try it the right way or you didn't try it at the right time with the right people and the right, all these things, right? Wrong model. Maybe you didn't have the skill set, whatever. What's something that you heard over and over again that you ignored or that you said, yeah, we do that or whatever. You dismissed it. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I get that. But then you finally did it or adopted it and you're, you just had this aha, like, oh, wow, look at that. What was it? I was thinking of one that didn't work, but one that's an aha and maybe it's small, but there's a software out there called company cam. Have you ever heard of it? Company cam. Uh, yeah. so many software. I'm not that one. No. Okay. Oh, wait. Company cam. It's supposed to help you organize oh. your pictures. Okay. Yes. I have heard of that. I've heard of all, there's several different cam softwares also that can plug into other people's software. So, but yeah. yeah so we have our yeah. software and it, yeah, it talks to that. Yep. Um, okay. We use one called Job Nimbus, our CRM. It's a roofing CRM. And so this company cam, I fought it because I'm cheap and I didn't want to pay for it. And I didn't understand why people couldn't just take pictures. I mean, you've got a phone, you got a smartphone, just take the pictures and put them in the CRM. How hard can it be? (laughs) But it shouldn't be hard. But finally gave in, tried this thing out. I think it was probably a free trial for so so many days. But And it's a simple thing, but it's amazing. You pull up the app. It doesn't store pictures on your camera roll. So now your camera roll can go back to being your kids and your dog and all that instead of all these roof pictures. And when you open up the app, it knows where you are GPS wise. And 
it so it brings up the job and you just click yeah that's the job or not or if not you can use a search function and then so you take the pictures and they automatically go into the crm so our guys in the field are the laborers they would take tons of pictures but i never got them they would just stay on their camera roll because it was too much effort to upload them anywhere so especially anyway. when you get behind like yeah weeks goes by it's like uh well, you don't even know which job it was anymore, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> they kind of all look the same. So that was one where I fought it for a long time, and I don't know why I fought it so long. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. And, and so now you became, and I think everyone listening is going to want to hear, you became the roofing chick. Yes. And I so there's two pieces of this. I would like to know, I'd like everyone else to be able to hear. You told me a little when we started getting to know each other at the beginning, but how did you become the roofing chick when was it official that you'd be like whoa now the roofing chick so my brother and i were just sitting around talking and i said how cool it might be to have roofer chick in the back window of my truck and we were like haha that'd be really cool oh my gosh that'd be so cool yeah but then i got to thinking about it later and decided that that would not be cool at all because then everybody would be looking at me and it would draw attention and it's actually kind of dumb really when you think about it <laughs> and i decided that that would not be a good thing but i never told him that i just had that little conversation in my head and i went on vacation somewhere and i came back and he had had that put on the back of my truck and he was so proud of himself he was so excited and I couldn't, I was like, internally, I was like, no, <laughs> but it was on the truck and I <laughs> just had to roll with it. And at first I was super self-conscious. I felt like everybody was staring at me in traffic and I don't like attention, but, but then it just became a thing and I'm used to it and it became known around town as that. And even, well now outside of town, but. Mm. So has that um, two questions, how has it worked out? having this brilliant it's worked out <laughs> brilliant. really well. yeah so my company name is feller roofing and i'm not going to rebrand because i've got too much invested in feller roofing but i've spent like the last three years um i developed a superhero to go with a roofer chick yes, and awesome. i've been trying to shrink feller roofing down not get rid of it but just shrink it down and make the roofer chick bigger as my branding and i've rewrapped my trucks and redone my business cards and it's a slow process rebranding is super expensive but I'd say I'm 90% of the way there. I have three trucks that I need to still switch, but yeah. out of eight. So visibility, being memorable. You know, we talked yeah. about, I have, the, the, have had the pleasure of helping my wife build her brand as the flip chick. And it's, it was huge for, I mean, the visibility, we'd be at airports in different parts of the country. And it's like, hey, are you the flip chick? It was really awesome. Yes, and, I've had a lot of that. And I've had people call me from like Maryland yeah. asking me about it. Now, I, this is another question. Did it change you at all? Was there any aspect of you where you, as you, you can think about identity creates behavior, right? Basic yeah. psychology. Did you feel more aware of how you carried yourself? Maybe even how you showed up in certain situations as the roofer chick now? I would say I'm growing up. I was always an introvert and pretty quiet, pretty shy. And I am the complete opposite now. I think some of that's my daughter. It's not all the business because she's very extroverted. But I think also with the business becoming confident, you got to be pretty confident to be a superhero. Yeah. <laughs> you can't be shy and quiet. No, that's um, cool. I like that you chose to make it a superhero. Was that, and that was your idea? 
Yes, that was my idea. It was just, and I don't even know where that came from. It just seemed like it seemed natural. You know, the roofer chick. I don't know, like Letterman on the electric company when we were kids. Who, wouldn't it? Yeah. That. Wouldn't it be easier, though, <laughs> getting up on the roof if you're a superhero than having to climb the ladder all the time? Yes. Need See? Yeah. I'm very helpful. So just if you need any help at all, just I'll ask. Turbo jets. Yes. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Okay, so now you're the roofer chick and you've been able to get yourself out there. We've talked a little bit about branding. How have you been able to grow your business to over $5 million? And I know that you have, you said you have two separate entities without getting into too much detail. You have to do some marketing, you have to do some sales. You said you love sales. What's your magic formula to grow your business and also month to month to be able to sustain that growth? Because I think that's a big struggle that a lot of, home services business yeah. have it's the so we're consistency definitely, we're definitely seasonal and that's a struggle and that it's still a struggle right now we're in the best few months of the year and then august is always pretty bad and then december january february are usually pretty slow so you got to learn how to ride those seasons on the month to month you got to save you got to build a buffer when the going's good so that you have it when it's not so good what was the first part of that question well, I think the big thing was how do you uh, create the magic formula for marketing mm -hmm. and sales? So, I mean, marketing past the $5 million level is epic. Marketing, I have a really good website, people, and uh, I get a number one on Google here, and I do really well. I also get tons of referrals, tons and tons. I do a lot of networking, Chamber of Commerce, Rotary, Girl Scouts, church try and be everywhere and take that truck everywhere I can. Okay. And that branding does a lot to the truck, the signs, the billboard, just becoming a part of everyday life in New Braunfels. Plus you're, you have a certification, right? With your company that, um, the master elite from GAF. Yeah. GAF master elite. I, I was looking at that and I know that what I've seen in the trade space, whether it's roofing, siding, general contracting, if you can have some sort of a standard or certification, I've seen it make a huge difference and uh, maintaining that certification. Have you found that to be true? Yes. And I love GAF. I could talk about them all day. And not only that in Texas, you don't have to be licensed to be a roofer, mm -hmm. unfortunately. And so I also am part of an organization called RCAT where I'm voluntarily licensed. And I think between being a GAF master elite and being licensed through that, it brings a lot of professionalism in a trade where you don't necessarily have to be very professional. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, you know, I've looked at the website. It's very, it is really professional. And I, it seems one thing that's about it is it's accurate. You know, what you're telling me, what's on the site seems to match. And if you do searches in your area, you, you come up all over the place for a lot of keywords. That's really good. Now, from the standpoint of getting to this point from the big transition and becoming the roofer chick, how did you overcome the hurdles of being pulled out into the field so much? And you got the marketing, you got the leads coming in. And, and I have to tell you the number of people in the, in the services space, especially home services that have said, we get scared. We like, don't send us any more business on some months because we can't do it. We can't, we can't staff up. We can't get the work done. And then they start getting the work done and they end up, end up in this sort of death cycle because they're out doing the work and nobody's selling. So how did you make the transition to business that actually works for you instead of you always working for the business? Well, I prefer to be out in the field. I love doing sales. 
I've gotten down to where I'm only doing sales about 30% of the time. So I wish I could do it more, but I have to run the business too. I keep losing my train of thought. That's okay. <laughs> That's a great answer. And as far as, oh, you were talking about people having too much work. Well, you know the role that you play. We never say no to work. And I don't know why people do that. We just tell them it's going to be three months. It's going to be six months. It's going to be nine months, but you don't say no. And so <laughs> and, some people might have to say, we can't wait that long. And we're going to talk to somebody. Right. And, the, and that might be, and yeah. then they'll make so a difference. Say, now, what if they're not a match? What if the personality is not a match? What if people are grinding you on price? Yeah. Then, well, I tell people I'm not the cheapest. Yeah. And if you're looking for whoever is the cheapest, then we can save both of our time and you can go find somebody else. I'll even tell them who is the cheapest if that's the route they want to go. Hmm. And if they're not a personality fit, that's just miserable. So yeah. I try and delicately say they might be better served to look at somebody else. So Amy, you're at the point now where you're, you have goals to grow your business. What's your biggest goal for the business over the next 12 months? To be in the black. <laughs> It's been rough the last five years. And I feel like we're finally turning that corner. And I think this year we're going to get rid of a lot of the, I've already gotten rid of a lot of the debt. COVID actually helped us quite a bit with PPP and EIDL and all of that. Yep. So, so um, have you found that during the COVID time that that's been your struggle? I mean, and have you found a difficulty with profitability over this last year? I got hurt before COVID and I thought COVID was going to do us in, but our volume actually didn't suffer because of COVID. It shifted to different months than I expected it, but it, we still did 95% of our sales goal last year in 2020. So we did pretty good. We were blessed. So that's great news. How is it that you're able to manage enough profit margins to continue to sustain the growth of the company, to pay the team? I mean, how are you able to, because I can tell you, I've talked to lots of roofing companies and I'm hearing things like barely breaking even, oh, yep. we're lucky to get five We've or 10%. That. Yep. What We've kind of margins that. are you able to keep? I mean, you're a for-profit enterprise. Yep. So, I mean, there's times where it's been rough. I hired, I won't get into all of it, but I hired a CPA that lost us half a million dollars. Last year, I had one of my employees embezzled me for $50,000. I've had a lot of things go bad. And we always seem to figure it out. And I definitely have priorities, you know, payroll is first and then suppliers while well, subcontractors labor and then suppliers. And how many people do you have team that you have to uh, employees? I have 15, 15. Okay. And, and I have so several subcontractors and you're taking care of them. You're taking care of their families. You're taking care yeah. of all the customers who you work with. So you've built a machine that's for sure bigger than you. Yes. It's huge. It's overwhelming sometimes. <laughs> so that leads me to the, we've had a great interview and I appreciate you've just been so candid and upfront and transparent about everything that you've done and the journey that you've been on. I, we could, I feel like we could just keep digging in and, and talking all day. I would love to know if you were to share a piece of advice, like a just, you got to do this piece of advice to the businesses that aren't hitting their margins, that are getting behind the eight ball, that are having trouble keeping their, you know, their businesses from hitting that glass ceiling. Now you've figured out a way, obviously you've got a good amount of volume, but you figured out a way to also get everybody paid and to make a good living doing it. So, which is why we're, we're able to talk right now and share this example. So what advice would you give the person in the home services business right now who wants to break through that glass ceiling, get past the million dollars and start getting to that 5 million and beyond? I would say, don't be afraid to look at your pricing. And I think a lot of people in home services feel like they have to be cheap or nobody will hire them. And I would encourage them to find something else to compete on that isn't that. 
and you've got to increase your margin to cover everything that you got going on. That would be huge. And I'm always afraid to increase my prices, but you have to. And the other thing is don't quit. Just keep going and just one foot at a time and you'll walk through it. It doesn't seem like it, but you will. So how much, I mean, you've got a lot of enthusiasm. You used to be an introvert. Now you're obviously got this, you're the roofer chick. So you've got this outgoing, what's that? I just said the roofer chick. Yeah, the roofer chick. So you've got this outgoing energy and this brand that's really strong. It seems like you're having a lot of fun with the business. I am. It's fun. So on this adventure that you're on as we wrap it up, is there anything that I didn't ask you or that we didn't talk about? Just anything at all that comes to mind that you'd like to share that you think might be a fun fact or something that's helpful? Anything at all that our listeners could take away with them before we wrap up? Man, no pressure. Anything. It could be anything. Can be like spend more time on your hobbies. I don't, you know, it doesn't have to be related to business. Just anything that you right. might. Well, I do say if you can't, I think if you can't enjoy your life, there's no point in doing it because it is hard, hard work. And not just for you, but your employees too. I'm real big on living life and not missing things, not mm -hmm. missing choir concerts and softball games. Mm -hmm. And That's huge. enjoy that stuff. The work will always be there. What is the biggest thing you've done to, to find a way? And I feel like this is going to go back to an answer you've already had to free yourself up to be there for your kids' events? <laughs> Letting my people handle things because they can. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, they totally can. That's huge. That's huge. We've got to get some of that stuff out of your head and down on paper and make it a little bit easier. <laughs> but clearly you're brilliant at what you do. Amy, I'm so grateful. This has been a great interview. And as we wrap it up, I wanted to just thank you very much for being on the Minimalist CEO podcast. And I'm, I'm excited. I know we're going to stay in touch. I know that we're going to have people checking out The Minimalist CEO on Facebook and also Home Service Traction on Facebook, which is two places I want to do. I want to just share more conversation with you if you'd be open to that. Yeah, totally. I love it. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Okay, everyone. Thanks for joining us with Amy Feller, the roofer chick, the owner of Feller Roofing down in Texas. She's done an amazing business. She has gotten past that $1 million and then the $5 million threshold and beyond. Everybody still has to work at it. And uh, you're getting some great tips from someone who's boots on the ground making it happen. So I'm psyched that you're here. Thanks for listening to downloading the Minimal CEO podcast. And for sure, look at the show notes. Find out how to get in touch with Amy and ask questions. We're going to make sure Amy's information is available also for her and her company on both of our Facebook pages, the, again, The Minimalist CEO and also Home Service Traction. So thanks again for listening. Download it, subscribe, and uh, we will be back with another episode.